So, so here it is, here it is, here it is, here it is. John chapter 4, one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew, check this out, Jesus be knowing stuff, don't he? Jesus be knowing stuff. Couldn't get anything past it. So it says, therefore, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. Can I pump the brakes there? Can I pump the brakes there? Listen, 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 listen. It, it always fascinates me that your greatest critics and detractors have trouble getting their story right about you. Are y'all with me? That's why Jesus said, what do men say about me? He said, hold up. Some of them say you, you John the Baptist. Some of them say you Elijah. This is what we do, though. We spend our lives trying to straighten out the story. But let me tell you, people will believe what they want to believe about you. And so these guys have this version of Jesus that ain't even true. And most of us go through life trying to fix stuff that people say about us that ain't even true. And they have multiple versions. Jesus, Jesus wasn't even the one doing the baptizing, and they had this whole narrative about it. Notice Jesus' response. He went back to them and said, why are you lying on me? Notice Jesus' response. He went back to them and clapped back. Let me tell you something. Some of y'all need to turn off your clap back button. Most of us want to set the record straight, but notice Jesus. Notice Jesus. He politely excused himself from their dysfunction. You know why? Because if we're going to reach hurting people, we have to regain our focus. Most of us don't realize that it is the tactic of the enemy to distract us with lesser things. He wants us to reach people, but we all up in gossip and mess and nonsense and foolishness and who said this and who said that, and it's wasting the best part of who you, and you even try to defend yourself to people Listen, listen, that's why the scripture says, we're talking about the resurrection. When, when Jesus, when they brought Jesus and they whipped him and they beat him and they falsely accused him, what did Jesus do? He answered them, not a word. Didn't even say a word to them because people will believe what they choose to believe about you. If we're going to reach people, we have to regain our focus and stop wasting our time on lesser things. Don't allow the misperceptions of others to take you off course or from your purpose. Don't, listen, to, don't try to uh, uh, convince your critics that, you, oh, I'm really a nice person. It will only take away from your God-given assignment. So, so they're making this big fuss about Jesus, what he did, what he didn't do. Notice what Jesus did in verse 3. He left them. He left Judea and he departed again to Galilee. Somebody say shake the haters off. Yeah, sometimes you just got to shake them off. Pop your collar, dust your feet, and go on to the next town. Spend time in places where you're celebrated, not just tolerated. We've lost our focus, and we're wasting our time and energy on lesser things. So Jesus left, and notice what happened. Uh, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But notice verse 4. But he needed, somebody say needed. Hey, he needed to go through Samaria. 
which is a, a huge contradiction because Jesus is a Jew and Samaritans are considered enemies of the Jews. So what's this sense of urgency about going through Samaria? In fact, you're not even supposed to go through Samaria. Have you ever been to a city where, like, man, don't go to that part of town. You, you, you can go anywhere, but don't go there. Jesus, being a Jew, knew that. Because the Samaritans had no interaction with the Jews. Yet the scripture says that he needed to go through Samaria. Can I, can I just submit this to you? That when you become more focused on the things that matter, all of a sudden you start to hear God a lot clearer. Listen to me. You'll start to hear God a lot clearer. And let me say this. Going through Samaria, Robert, was not a navigational necessity. Because most Jews who went from Judea to Galilee went around Samaria. There is a reason that is much deeper than just Jesus looking for a shortcut. And because he has his focus on things that matter, he hears an instruction from God. And God says to him, go through Samaria. There's something in Samaria. There is a divine appointment in Samaria that I am assigning you to. Because when you find your focus with God, he will make you go out of your way to reach the one. Listen to me. He will make you go out of your way to reach the one. Because when you are walking in sync with God, you will be compelled by love. You will be compelled by love. Listen to me. The urgency was not geographical or navigational. It was a purpose-driven prompting from God that didn't even make any sense in the natural. God was saying, don't take the normal route. Go through this city where Jews never go because the people in that city hate Jews as much as Jews hate them. Are y'all with me? He was compelled by love. Who is God calling you to reach? Hey, who is he calling you to reach out to that makes you very uncomfortable right now? You waiting for them to make the first move and God saying, I want you to go through your Samaria. They did you wrong, but I want them to experience my love and they're going to experience it through you because you're going to forgive them. You ain't going to wait for them to come to you. You going to go to them. Because if the truth were told today, all of us have our own personal Samaria where God is calling us to go out of our way to reach somebody because we're compelled by his love. Ooh, we don't like that one. Y'all awful quiet again in this Episcopalian church, y'all. In fact, somebody sent my beautiful wife a, a friend request this morning. And I was preparing the message. I said, wow, that could be your Samaria. Not just hers alone. It could be our Samaria together. Doing things that are inconvenient and uncomfortable in order to reach people with the love of God. 
I promise you I'm about to wrap up. I'm looking at the clock, 11-11. I see it. I got to tell you all this because there is an urgency I sense in my gut of guts that somebody on the other side of this message needs for you, needs for you to go through Samaria to meet them. I don't know who it is. I don't know where they are. But God wants to entrust you with a divine appointment very soon in your Samaria. Listen, verse 5, verse 5. So Jesus uh, came to a city of Samaria, which is Sikar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied, again, it speaks to the humanity of Jesus. He was God, but he was also man. He felt, he wept, he grew tired. And here he is, tired, but also thirsty. And the scripture says he was wearied from his journey, and he sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Uh, again, the sixth hour simply means 12 o'clock. The way the Jews counted time was uh, 6 a.m., or sunrise was considered zero hour or the first hour, and then every hour after that counted up. So we know that 6 a.m. is the first hour. The sixth hour is now noon. That means it's hot. Now, there's something particular and peculiar in the culture because uh, as the story unfolds, you will find that Jesus has this encounter with this woman. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. The reason it's critical is because women in that culture came to draw water at the first hour before the sun came out. And they all came together. Somebody say squad goals. They all came to draw water together before it got too hot, before the sun came out. So the scripture says it's 12 o'clock and Jesus is about to have this divine encounter at the well. Now, the second thing, reason this is important is because the disciples aren't with Jesus. The disciples, the scripture says, went into town to buy food because again, culturally, it was not acceptable for Jews to eat the food of Samaritans. I can imagine his disciples saying, look, man, why are we going through Samaria? We ain't got no food. But Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Because when you're compelled by love, you will do things that will make absolutely no sense to reach somebody with the love of God. Listen to me. What I'm saying is not just about getting somebody saved. Reaching somebody with the love of God means that God could place you in their life at the right moment to rescue their marriage. To rescue them from a bad decision. That's what your Samaria is. He will cause you to do things that are inconvenient and uncomfortable. That may even appear on the surface to be culturally unacceptable. Because what's about to happen is taboo, 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 taboo. I'm going to wrap it up. Here we go. Uh, where am I? Verse 6. So Jesus sitting at the well. He's thirsty, and it's 12 o'clock. Ah! Here's the peculiarity of the text. Verse 7 says, a woman. Somebody say, a woman. 
That means she's all by herself. She didn't come with a throng of women, the group of women. She shows up at the well all by herself in the middle of the day. You know why? Because Bible commentators said she had no friends. Nobody wanted to be her friend. Nobody wanted to be around her because she was ostracized and marginalized because of her history. Yeah. So she came in the middle of the day when none of her critics would be there, when none of her enemies would, enemies would do, be there, when none of the other women who pointed at her because of her choices over the course of her life would be there to ridicule her, she came all alone. I wonder, I wonder if you've ever been all alone. Surrounded by people, but still lonely. I wonder if some of us are in this room right now, surrounded by all these people, and still walking alone. Can I tell you that Jesus sees you? Can I tell you that Jesus sees you right where you are, and he will go out of his way to meet you at the well? So this woman comes, here's the taboo, here's the taboo. Jesus asks her for a drink, says, ma'am, uh, may I have a drink of water? I'm extremely tired. Taboo number one, she's a woman that's not a wife speaking to a man who is not her husband in public. Taboo number two, Jesus is not just a man, but he is a rabbi. And he's speaking to a woman. That's not his wife in asking her for a drink of water. Can I, can, I just, can I just tell you that most times we make this whole thing about reaching people more spiritual than it needs to be? That sometimes changing a life can start with something as insignificant as this? Will you take this card? Will you give me a drink of water? I'm going to fast forward the conversation because they get into this conversation. And the lady said, why are you asking me for water? You, you're a man. I'm a woman. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. This is totally out of order. Shouldn't be happening. And Jesus said, look, if you knew who you were talking to and what I got. Listen to me. Most of us stop sharing our faith because we've lost sight of the treasure that we carry. If we really knew what we had in Jesus, we would want to tell everybody. We wouldn't hold it in. And that's why Paul said that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to them. He says, you got so much power that the gospel in your mouth can take a person out of the kingdom of darkness and translate them into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, you have no idea what I'm carrying. Can I, may I also suggest that most of us as Christians have lost sight of the living water that we carry that this world desperately needs. And we've closed the faucet on the living water that God wants to share with the world. Uh, the conversation continues, and Jesus, I mean, just hits the nail on the head. Say, hey, 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 pump the brakes. You talking about where we're supposed, you're supposed to worship on this mountain, you're supposed to worship, no, but here's the truth. 
said, the truth about you is you've been married five times. And the guy you with, man, y'all shacking. Woo, I wish I had time to talk about that for a second. I wish I had time to talk about that for a second and tell y'all some stories, tell y'all some stories, personal stories, personal stories where I have shared the love of God with people and the Lord gives you supernatural insight about their life that you had no way of knowing. I wish I had time to tell y'all stories. And so Jesus has supernatural insight into this lady's life. Let me just fast forward. This lady, her life is so radically transformed that she runs back into the city where everybody rejected her. Where she was ostracized and rejected, she now becomes an evangelist. And she goes into the city and she tells everybody, come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Jesus replaces her shame with a bold testimony. Now, this is where I'm going to close. Did I say that already? No, I said I was about to wrap up, but this is where I close. There's a distinction. But this is where I close. Here it is. Listen, listen. Listen, uh, where is it? Um, da, 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 da. Oh, verse 27. Look at verse 27, and this is where I'm about to close. I promise you. I promise you I'm about to close. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Again, because it was taboo, culturally unacceptable. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with You know how y'all be like, Jesus talking to that girl? Y'all know how y'all do. And notice, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city. Notice who she said. To. She said to the men. Why she talking to men? Women had nothing to do with her. Didn't like her, hated her, had all kind of, she went to the men. And notice, and she said, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. He knows my story. He knows my history, but he loves me. He ain't calling me by my shame. He's calling me by my name. He loves me in spite of my history. And I wish, the, I wish the church would reintroduce our culture to a God who desperately loves them. He told me everything. He knows everything about me, but there's no condemnation, no judgment. He loves me just the way I am. And, 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 and notice, so the men came and... Uh, and uh, uh, it says, verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. And in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. Let's go to verse 39. Notice what happened. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. You know why Jesus had to go through Samaria? He had to go through Samaria for this one broken woman, woman with a past with a history that he was going to use to be his vessel to reach an entire city. Least likely candidate was the one that he chose. Notice what the scripture says. Many believed because of the testimony of the woman. He told me all that I ever did. Isn't that what I said last week? If we're going to reach people, lead with your story. That's all she told him. Didn't give him theology, just said, this guy told me my whole story. Had no way of knowing, and he still loves me. And the entire city believed. We're about to wrap up. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. Notice, and he stayed there two more days. Can you imagine what Jesus did in that city for two more days? How many more people he reached? 
because of the testimony of this one woman. And then they said to the woman, now we believe. Not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. How did it happen? It happened with one ordinary woman who had an encounter with Jesus. I promise you, this is my final close. Promise you. As of 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience, including radio and television broadcasts, topped 2.2 billion people. That means that approximately 2.2 billion people, 2.2 billion people have heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth. Billy Graham has shared the gospel with more people than anyone else in history. But does anybody know who shared the gospel with Billy Graham? Mm. It's actually a series of events that has been traced over the years and starts out with one volunteer Sunday school teacher. Listen to me. If you are going to trace Billy Graham's spiritual genealogy, his spiritual heritage, you know where you trace it back to? One Sunday school teacher serving in city kids wearing a green Love God, Love People t-shirt. Most of us lose sight of the fact that by serving in children's church and working with our young people, we could be pouring in to the next Billy Graham or pouring in to someone who will reach the next Billy Graham. But we're too sexy for that, though. We want to pick up a mic and preach. We don't want to clean and change diapers. Yet we don't realize that the genesis of the next Billy Graham could be right there in children's church right now. Listen, listen, a Sunday school teacher, not paid, a volunteer. Someone shared this story with me many years ago, and it impacted me greatly. So it is with the influence of a single person. Take Edward Kimball, for example. Never heard of him, right? Rest assured, most people have never heard of him. Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the hyper boys in his class, but also sought to win each one to the Lord personally. Bad boys, but this guy, Kimball, prayed for these boys and said, I'm going to reach each one of them personally. The kinds of boys that we write off. He decided he would be intentional with every single last one of them. Surely he thought about throwing in the towel. If you have ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know that the experience can often be like herding cats. One young man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about, so Kimball went to the shoe store where he was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stock room with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on, we're about to wrap up. That young man was Dwight L. Moody. Some of y'all know who Dwight Moody is. In the stock room on that Saturday, he believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as his savior. In his lifetime, Moody reached two continents for God with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. But the story doesn't end there. Actually, that's where it begins. Because under Moody, another man's heart was touched for God. 
Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became the evangelist who preached to thousands. One day, a professional ball player had a day off and attended one of Chapman's meetings, and thus, Billy Sunday was converted. Anybody know who Billy Sunday is? Mm, okay. Billy Sunday was a professional baseball player who quit baseball and became part of Chapman's team. Then Chapman accepted the password of a large church, and Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades. Another young man was converted whose name was Mordecai Ham. He was a scholarly, dignified gentleman who wasn't above renting a hearse and parading it through the streets, advertising his crusades. When Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, a sandy-haired, lanky young man, then in high school, vowed that he wouldn't go hear him preach. Listen to this. This young man vowed, I ain't going to hear that. That preacher ain't got nothing to say to me. I ain't going over there and waste my time. But this young man did eventually go. And here's why. Here's why. He went out of curiosity because Ham announced that he knew for a fact. Listen to this. It was scandalous. It was scandalous. The reason this young man went was scandalous. He says, Ham, the evangelist, announced that he knew for a fact that there was a house of ill repute located across the street from the local high school and that male students were skipping lunch to visit the house across the street. That's juicy, isn't it? High school students skipping lunch to hang out at a house of ill repute. Uh, but when students decided, listen to this, Listen to this. When students decided to go and interrupt the meetings of Mordecai, because now the student's like, he's going to put us on blast. So we're just going to go to that crusade and disrupt the whole thing. When this young man heard that his fellow students were going to Mordecai Ham's crusade to disrupt it because of what he was going to expose, this young man just decided to go see what would happen. That night... He went and he was intrigued by what he heard. He came back another night. And that second night, he responded to the invitation and he was converted. The young man's name was Billy Frank, who we eventually know as Billy Graham, the evangelist, who, according to estimates, has preached to more people than any other person who ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. You could continue to follow this trail and see where Graham and all of us started with the ministry of Jesus. Think about how far-reaching Christ's message has gone. The fascinating chain of events was triggered by a Sunday school teacher's concern for his boys. Just one Sunday school teacher saying, I'm going to reach these hard-to-reach boys. And now we have Billy Graham. If you and I are like most people, you have served in some capacity and wondered at times if you were making a real difference or not. Maybe you've thought about quitting because you didn't think you were making any difference. Next time you are tempted to give up. Please remember Edward Kimball, whose persistence and faithfulness was tremendously honored by the Lord. You can start playing now. The story would have looked very different if Edward Kimball, listen to this, if Edward Kimball did not take his Saturday. He took his Saturday. He took his Saturday to reach this one young man 
that most had written off to seek out Dwight Moody. The Moody Bible Institute in Chicago is named in his honor. And this is what the writer says, and this is where I close finally. He says, you can count the apples on a tree, but only God knows how many apples are in a single seed. You and I will never know how many apples are in a single seed, but just by reaching Shane, Shane was able to reach David, and David was able to reach Jake. You will never know how many seeds are in the life of that one person you'll reach. Kimball reached Moody, and Moody reached so-and-so, and so-and-so reached Billy Graham, who reached 2.2 billion people. As I close, I close with this. God wants you. He wants each of us to be the next Edward Kimball, to reach one apple that will have many seeds that will change many lives. As we count down to Easter, Jesus started with a drink of water and you might start with an invite card that might change a life for generations to come. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will make us keep.